Hello, everybody. That was totally lame. I'm not going to start that way. Maybe I will? You did. I did. I guess we're starting that way. Yeah, on today's show, we decided to bring in um, Anita Harris and Bruce Watson, two of the artists from uh, Volume 1 of Ghost Stories YYC. Uh, Bruce was the recipient of the People's Choice Prize, and Anita was the first runner-up. Bruce's piece was called Poltergeist, and it was a kinetic sculpture where a wine glass would break apart and then reassemble itself sort of every 30 seconds. Uh, It was quite incredible. Obviously, a a super popular piece of the show just because it was so interesting and unique. Um, Anita, she repurposed a old doll and turned it into the uh, goddess It's Papalotl, the obsidian butterfly. Uh, And it was also a incredibly detailed and beautiful looking piece. Yeah, so this is our show, which is called Round the Campfire. Cool. There's no campfire right now, but there is yeah. pastries. We can we could light a campfire. We could light a little we fire. Turn the candle on. Yeah. Do you turn a candle on? Yeah, with fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I could do that. I'll go grab a I'll go grab the a right there. Maybe just start with introducing yourselves and and uh, who you are and what you do and where you came from and how long you been here? And I don't know. That's a long list. Yeah. How are you, Anita? I am good. Thank you. Happy International Women's Day. It, oh, yes, it is. Yes, yes I've go. been seeing some stuff. As an international woman, I like to embrace these uh, things. Yes, you are a very yeah. international woman. Yes, yes, I am. Very, so, yes, so I'm Anita. I'm originally from the UK, but I have lived in Hong Kong and Germany and Canada and the UK, so... As international as you can get. That is so, quite international. Pretty international, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so. So you lived in Hong Kong? It did. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Was that Was that during uh, school? The coronavirus? During, no. during the coronavirus, <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you patient me. zero? Have you brought it? <laughs> oh, no. It's kind of weird, actually, because it's like, I'm British, don't talk about Brexit. I lived in Hong Kong, don't talk about the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. sort of like, I shut people down. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> You're just traveling all over the world, starting just all these starting things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so. great. Were you in Hong Kong during school, after school? I was there when I was seven. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we were there for wow. two years. And uh, amazing experience for a kid. Yeah. yeah absolutely oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And uh, moved back to Britain when I was nine. And actually, we were in the same neck of the woods in Britain. So. Really? Yeah. You and Bruce were in we, Britain at the same knew? time. Who knew? We had to come to Canada to meet. Kind of the same time, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's when was that? Yeah. Well, for me, that was back in 1986. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I was growing up in Oxford in the 80s, so. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, we saw each other somewhere. <laughs> Probably. It's small, right. isn't it? We know everyone in Britain. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, how it's many the same as Canada, Canada, right? I yeah. get that all the time. <laughs> You're British, or you must know so and so. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I came to Canada in 2001 because my mum is Canadian, ran away from Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was coming. Yeah. So, yeah. And you you went to art school in the UK, though? I did. I went went to art school just outside Oxford, and then I did a a BA in aesthetics and art history in Cardiff in Wales. Yeah. Very cool. Hmm. Excellent. What is a BA in aesthetics? Um, It's basically the philosophy of art. So all these philosophers who have opinions about art, Mm -hmm. and uh, you study them and go, oh my God, they're so boring. But I had never really called myself an artist. So I was uh, working for charities and supporting um, predominantly adults with developmental disabilities and complete different career path but after my second kid was born I was like I think I want to go back to the art thing and see where that leads and so that's what I've been doing 
So really, it's kind of quite fresh. It's like only eight, nine years that yeah. I've been doing the art thing. The art thing. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's a common story, right? The Like you go to art school and oh, then sure. kind and of... run away. And then run away from it <laughs> yeah. and then, yeah. well, and then slowly find your way back to it. Yeah. But to some extent, you have, especially in this environment, you need to have a career behind you. Yeah. To, to afford... I mean, very few artists make a career out of art right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of us... Got day jobs. Through, well, even through terror or through through laziness, just don't don't get there. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think a lot of, even a lot of artists that do spend full time doing it, they take, they step away at of some course, point yeah. too. They burn, like something happens, you burn out, you, whatever happens, sure. you, um, yeah, you need to step away sometimes. Yeah. 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 Huh. Or, so, or change gears or something, change, right? Like yeah, just yeah. do, yeah. 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 Have you? Yeah. I'm going through that a little bit right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wanting to change gears and step away. Well, just needing to, um, like, take a good step out and look at what's mm. happening. We'll look at what I'm doing and look mm. at where I like, where I need to position myself in the art market. Sure. And yeah. How to do that. And just kind of take a really honest assessment of things. Yeah. Um, and that for me right now, that's involving like studying again, studying mm. art making again and sort of like getting really into um, working on fundamentals and doing things like that. that awesome. Uh, to kind of learn to love it again in a way yeah. mm. um, because I kind of wasn't loving yeah. it at all. And Because mm. your yeah. last couple of years have been like huge steps. Yeah. Right? Like you've, t- you've, you've advanced so far. Yeah, so interesting to hear that you're, you're I don't know, is it losing momentum or is it is it just kind of you, you hit a certain mark and now it's time to... Yeah, I think I explored and then... I exposed some shortcomings that I need to, that I want to work on. I don't need to if I don't want to, but I want to work on them. Um, Kind of like um, bring myself out of the, for lack of a better word, hack realm, you know, where like cutting corners and on where I don't want to, like just, just on, on technical things and fundamental things that I, would like to work on to make the work that I've it's in my head that I want to make so mm. yeah it's, it's a weird it's a weird thing to come to terms with at this stage but yeah it's probably uh, one of those cyclical things too right like I'm sure that, that every artist has that point where they come to to the limits of their technical capabilities but then you have to stop and decide do you want to do you want to rectify that or do you want to just keep on doing the same old yeah not yeah not fully accomplished. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's good. It's a good thing. Sure. It's just a shitty thing to have, yeah, yeah. To, to have to look at, like stare in the face and go, okay, yeah, sure. I guess I have to, if I want to deal with this, there's like, it's hundreds of hours of work to deal, yeah. you know, and that's, <laughs> that's a frustrating it's thing to come to. And, it is exciting, yeah. but it's all, yeah, it's yeah, frustrating to, to, yeah. to come to terms with Well, you, so you had, I know you had a situation that was uh, like a, with your hand, right? Yeah, that yeah, that, that yeah. took you out. So yeah. give us like a little background on, like, I mean, start yeah, a little bit start, earlier than that. Start, like, where, yeah. start, where did you start from? Who, who, who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> see, see, I, I made the, the incredibly weird decision of, of doing it in English, you know, master's degree in English literature and realizing that was, that was never going to make me any money. So I thought I'd be an artist instead. <laughs> uh, so how'd that turn out? <laughs> well, in some ways, luckily, like I went, I studied VC because I thought I'd, I'd do something useful that say, that way. What's VC? Sorry, so, uh, visual communications. Oh, okay. And um, two years into the program, I, I lost the use of my right hand almost completely, just from really bad posture, really bad exercise with with the hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I'd go back and just cross the street and teach at Sage. For, I thought it was going to be a semester or two while my hand fixed. But it took took about two years to get feeling back in my hand. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that time, I was making some money, had some job security, mm-hmm. uh, and, and discovered that I really, really hated design. 
Like I kind of realized I should have gone into painting or something, but, but because of this bias of needing to, to pretend to earn money or have a useful skill, I chose, I chose a program that I hated every minute of. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a thing I liked about design. So, uh, yeah, I kind of, in a way, I kind of just gave up art for, for probably 10 or 15 years, hardly did a thing artistically. And then, um, you know, the second partly best thing that I've ever done, getting divorced, uh, led to, to rediscovering all those old mm. interests and passions and becoming uh, an avid painter again. Not necessarily a good one, but avid. Definitely a good <laughs> right? one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and rediscovering the, the, the work in the mechanical work that I did. It gave me the chance, too, of you know developing a studio that had all the equipment in um, to be able to do the mechanical work and, and learn those skills. Um, and I, I face the, the, the problem that you have all the time is, you know, you, when you envision a, the, the problem with doing mechanical work in my experience is that you constantly hit up against things you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you can either, you can either therefore just go back and do over and over again what you know how to do, mm-hmm. or you can do as, as I'm doing for the next show, you go out and buy a welder <laughs> have to learn how to weld. <laughs> Were we just talking about that? That all that university really taught us is how to Google things, right? <laughs> and learn about them. I just, uh, it, I just got really great at YouTubing things, right? And figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Right? Yeah. You know what? What you learned in university probably you could distill into ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is just you yeah. Know, you learn how to learn. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a gig right now with uh, um, a design firm and the guy that I'm working with took on an intern. And in our first meeting, he asks me, like, um, do you have any advice for my young intern here who's, you know, still in university? He's, you know, he's going to be a junior designer. And I, I don't know why I said it. I was like, always be a junior. <laughs> somehow somewhere and I think this is because I'm, I'm doing the same thing as John right now like I'm taking some courses yeah. and, I, and I find that when when I start to feel that kind of like oh what am I doing yeah, yeah. then I kind of throw myself into some courses or throw myself into learning new things or trying sure. to expand out a little bit um, and it helps I guess because you feel like you're making you're chipping away at a bigger yeah yeah bigger block of awful <laughs> uh, uh, and it's just nice to feel like you're picking up new skills and, and doing like yeah, stuff sure. like that like I almost never want to be a super professional like I always kind of want to have feel like I'm underneath and being mentored by someone or something and learning mm-hmm. and and it's, it's I, don't, I don't think anybody should ever feel that way like, yeah because yeah. you feel like you're you yeah can. you feel like you've reached the end of a rope almost and you just I don't know have anywhere left to climb sure. which is weird because some way in some ways mastering something means achieving stasis I mean you're yeah you, you know you're good enough you don't have to do anything else and that'd be kind of dull I think right? yeah you can, you can revel in the perfection of what you can do yeah but but then it's just repetition. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I really, like as much as I admire the atelier process of learning how to draw on things, it's, it's invariably really dull to look at yeah. uh, because they're just too, they're too good. Right. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're too yeah. practiced. They're too, yeah. they've, they've mastered a certain technique. They've yeah. mastered a certain uh, aesthetic. And, and beyond that, it's just the same slightly better increments of that. Right. right. It's not, uh, Whereas I, I love looking at the work of amateur artists because it's always quirky. Yeah. It's always bad, but, but, it's, but it's often more interesting than, yeah. yeah. And you find too that you, you're more prone to take risks maybe? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, I have no idea if this is going to work. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. I was listening to a podcast with Jake Parker who created Inktober. Way back in, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he talks about minimum viable story. Whereas <laughs> like, what's the least amount of work you can do to make something that you can ship? Because then your stakes are like so low that you're not really risking a whole lot of time right. or effort or something like that, right? So you can take little risks and be like more productive that way almost. Yeah, yeah. 
it's an interesting kind of concept where, and I wonder if the more masterful <laughs> you get, the more scared you almost become of like <laughs> taking bigger risks. I don't know. That might not really be a thing. But. Oh, I think for sure. And especially <laughs> if you, if you're mastered something, then you probably have a reputation to maintain yeah. Yeah. for that mastery. And <laughs> That definitely puts you in a position of yeah. high risk to change what you do. You yeah. turn on a dime and like imagine um, Lauren Harris here, for example, right? I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he became an absolute master of these sort of stylized landscapes. And then he just made abstract paintings. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and they were awful, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. And I think a lot of people's yeah, right. opinion. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, what a, what a ballsy move. Right, like once you've sort of become yeah. legendary and masterful at this one thing, and then, yeah. 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 and then like, yeah, yeah. I'm bored. I'm, I'm sure we've all had that experience of looking back through old portfolios of work when you were a student, or or just even a few years ago, and you think, why the hell can't I do that anymore? Oh yeah, all right? the like, time. You, you, like I'm constantly having that experience of thinking, I've just gotten worse and worse. <laughs> like I was doing interesting things. 15 years ago when I didn't know how to paint or didn't know how to do what I this. And it's just, yeah, I'm sure it's, it's partly an illusion, but, but I think there's some truth to it too, that, that yeah. uh, you, you do things that you would never have, that you could never do now because you know too much. Yeah. yeah. That would be a good segue maybe to talk about um, how injecting narrative story writing into the art making process was, challenging and different for certain people i mean it's uh, writing is always challenging for me but asking artists <laughs> to write is difficult sometimes yeah. and i mean writing is a challenge and that's kind of with this show is something that we're trying to do is ask artists to get out of their comfort zone <laughs> yeah and how, how, how did you how did you both find doing that last year it was terrifying because <laughs> I'm not a writer, so it was absolutely terrifying. And uh, I think I wrote nine different drafts of what I ended up with. Mm. So, and I got feedback from, I actually went and got feedback from readers, not writers, because I'm like, right. you, can you read this? Does it make sense? Does it have a flow? Does it engage the mind? Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that more valuable than actually asking friends that I knew that had writing skills, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, but as uh, as all the supports that I got along the way, you know, I had a baseline of, no, this is not Neil Gaiman, right through to, yeah, I've, I've achieved something. So. <laughs> so I got there in the end, you yeah. know, I think. So. Oh, I think you totally got there in <laughs> yeah. the end because I'm going to read this out. Um, so it's interesting because YouTube – is usually just this place of vitriol and <laughs> terrible commenting and trolling and stuff. As you know, all the uh, stories were narrated for last year and there's a YouTube channel with yes. all of our stories from last year with images of the art. You did awesome. Which was really cool. Um, Very cool. But interestingly, we, we there was a comment on your story. On mine? Yeah. Right. Uh, was it a troll? <laughs> well, that's what I'm getting to. Okay. It's, it's, it's cool Yay. because... My first troll. Your I first, made it. Your first, your first <laughs> troll. Um, and, and, and it's something that we're always conscious of and, like, careful of is, like, accusations of cultural appropriation with this show. Like, we don't want to... We don't want to engage with the idea that's, that, that you can't tell a story from another culture just yeah. because you're not from that culture. I mean, yeah. I don't think that's in the spirit of what folk tales are and ghost stories are like right. they're they're worldly i mean we have folk tales that do take they're traditional folk tales that do take things from other cultures i mean sure. that's what folk tales are they're kind of they take everything from everywhere and yeah. you can see universal folk tales that spread all across all cultures Absolutely. but we might edit that out because we don't want to start a flame war <laughs> <laughs> don't, we? Uh, don't we don't we i don't know yeah that's how you go viral right? <laughs> you ask you ask crazy questions anyways but, uh, so a comment on your story is, uh, uh, this is from Rose Figura, which I'm probably butchering her name, uh, but it says, as a Mexican, I have to thank you for your wonderful way of telling the story of its papalotl and not for, and for not only talking about her as a dark being, but you showed her compassionate side from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much for the interest and respect towards my culture. 
Hmm. So not a troll. Not a troll at all. <laughs> like how how cool is that? Yeah, that was amazing. You came in yesterday and said, "Listen to this. I just read something that restores my faith in humanity." So that's <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. And and it does because like that's not only someone not getting offended, which is seems to be the default by anybody yeah, yeah. saying yeah. any using any yeah. cultural narrative at all in any context. Um, they were com- really complimentary about yeah. it, right? Yeah. Saying thank you for doing justice, which is really yeah. cool. Yes. Which, I mean, for someone who claims to be a non-writer, yeah. good work. Bravo. To be fair, well she didn't mention anything about my grammar or, <laughs> <laughs> or the flow of the story. Spelling mistakes. Your English, your grammar has got to be perfect. Automatically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's Papalotl. Art and Story by Anita Harris High up in the cold, inky darkness of the heavens, violent female star demons, the Titsimeme, raged and screamed, circling the sun. They threw their spears and shot their arrows into the blazing, fiery center, causing it to darken and dim so that gray shadows spread and lengthened to cover the land and earth below. The leader of the Titsimeme, descended from her sky domain and stepped gracefully onto the dry, dusty ground of this earthly plain. She stood tall and lithe, calm but powerful, with dark, ageless eyes bright against her dusky skin. The lower half of her face was streaked stark white and deep red. Around her neck lay a gold neckplate embedded with gems and holding back her thick black hair was a magnificent gold and obsidian headdress edged with long, silky feathers that proclaimed her eminence. The sun's dimming light glinted off her adornments, and a warm, gentle breeze ruffled her short cotton skirt. Her name was known to all in this land. It's Papalotl, the obsidian butterfly, and she was equally worshipped and feared. She was the goddess of infant mortality and women who die in childbirth, protector of expectant mothers, deity of fertility, warrior leader of the Titsimeme, ruler of the paradise domain of Tamoanchan, goddess of the 13th level of the heavens, and she was hungry. Her keen eyes surveyed her surroundings. Before her lay the Tenochtitlan, the greatest city of the Aztec empire. She scanned the ornate pyramids, Sculpted architecture and glittering riches this capital boasted, and she smiled. The 200,000 dwellers were nowhere to be seen, as she expected, but she could sense their presence, knew they were hiding and praying, silently watching and hoping. She licked her lips. It had been years since the last solar eclipse. She didn't have long. Her demon sisters could only attack the sun for a short while, but the darkness provided would be all the time she would need. She stepped forward, advancing toward the heart of the city to begin her search. Located in the central core, rising above all other buildings, lay Templo Mare, the great central pyramid. Moving closer, she could hear rhythmic chanting arising from the high priests that lined its majestic edges. There, standing in the square courtyard at the base of the temple's steep steps, were 20 elite male warriors, warriors who had competed and fought for this highest of honors. Each were attired in ritual, reinforced, cotton-based war armor. Each watched her approach with an alert, battle-seasoned gaze, and each of them tested their grips on their chosen weaponry. Lethal spears, sturdy bows, vicious maqua whittle, razor-sharp obsidian sword clubs, and atlatl, deadly dart throwers. She halted her approach at the far end of the temple square, opposite the poised warriors, assessing their readiness and preparations. Her eyes flicked upward towards the priests. With the smallest inclination of her head, she acknowledged them and their offering. Fluidly, she dipped to the ground and crouched. Her human form shimmered and began to transform. Her skin, already dark and swarthy, deepened to ebony black. Thick, yellow scales formed on her calves and feet. Her toes elongated, and the nails lengthened into the wicked curved talons of an eagle. Her once slender hands and fingers thickened, the nails sharpening into the claws of a jaguar, and from her back, edged with glittering obsidian knives, spread wings shaped like a giant black butterfly. Her once striking human face shrank back 
revealing the bone-white skull beneath with its chilling rictus grin. As one, the warriors roared out their war cry and charged. The chant of the priests raised in volume and tempo, their voices dipping and climbing, melding and blending, the rising crescendo matching the adrenaline and wild frenzy of the warriors' combat below. Then, all at once, the chanting abruptly stilled. All sounds ceased, and silence descended upon the square. Small clouds of dust stirred around her ankles, and the warm breeze once more ruffled her skirt. Her chest rose and fell rapidly with each hurried, hot breath. Her arms hung by her sides, whilst small crimson droplets fell from her claws and gently spattered the hard-packed earth on which she stood. An eagle screamed in the distance, its piercing echo reverberating from the giant pyramid before her. Its papillotal licked blood from her fingers and wiped her mouth. Arrayed around her feet lay the remains of the twenty elite warriors. Lifeless, twisted bodies scattered the ground, chests torn open, hearts devoured. Shredded forms, broken limbs, decapitated heads with frozen, wild expressions and wide, staring eyes, all framed by dark, drying blood that was being quickly absorbed into the thirsty earth. Its papillotal returned to her human form, once more inclined her head toward the silent priests who in turn bowed low in reverence. She walked quietly from the city. The eyes of the inhabitants watched her leave, their mouths and lips noiselessly offering prayers and worship. There at the edge of the city, shadowy, shimmering figures of women, babies, and infants waited patiently. Their ghostly, transparent forms wavered, swaying forward silently and gently. The goddess called them to her, welcoming them and lovingly gathered them to her. As the sun regained its intensity and radiance, as warmth and light returned to the mortal world, its papillotl, the obsidian butterfly, skeletal warrior goddess of the Aztecs, looked to the sky and ascended once more to Tamananchan, safely guiding the departed souls of those she cared for to her heavenly home. There they would regenerate and gain the strength needed for reincarnation. And she, she would rest until the next solar eclipse. Bruce, how was your experience with yeah, I thought making something narrative like that? And, and uh, you know, as, got as somebody who's in got a master's degree in English literature, yeah, Jesus. I think what, what my master's degree in English literature taught me is don't ever fucking write. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are not good enough. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny. Like, we go to school to learn all these right? beautiful things, and then all it's really teaching you is don't just fucking don't do, do it. it. Yeah, you're just don't not good You're not going to be good enough, so <laughs> stop. <laughs> so I, haven't, I haven't written a word of fiction since I was in high school, probably. Hmm. Um, so it was a really fun experience to do. Uh, I didn't find it terrifying. I found it really quite engaging, but, but also very difficult. And my, my story was amongst the shortest of them. Hmm. And I don't think I could have squeezed another word out I just just, that it was just hard to do that (laughs) so uh and unlike you I did show it to a professional writer and thinking that oh she's gonna like this Uh, and she 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 didn't say a single nice thing about it so (laughs) (laughs) poltergeist art and story by Bruce Watson here we go again you prick More books sent flying from the shelf. Yesterday, a toppled chair, and today, a broken wine glass. Five bucks for six at Ikea. Choke on the whole half dozen, you peevish spook. I'm not impressed, and you're not very good at this. My three-year-old is more destructive, though usually less malicious. In the scheme of things that go bump in the night, you rank with the wee hours Qatar of my refrigerator. No matter, I'm sure you'll get better with practice. I don't get why you're here. I've done nothing to warrant haunting, or is this your way of saying hello? Just a lonely spirit with a creepy handshake? You know, Snapchat is pretty fun, so why you gotta make the walls bleed? They're a bitch to clean. Well then, let's be friends even if you are smeared out across two worlds, one foot in the abyss and the other rattling the cutlery in my kitchen. Ah, but you don't have feet, and maybe that's your problem disembodied, incorporeal, no body, no corpse. 
Now here you are, a ghost with no machine and feeling sorry for yourself. If it's any comfort, embodiment was never such a great trick. We're all just borrowed energy, aren't we? However complex the mechanism, ours is just a brief tour through cogs and linkages doing who knows what work for who knows what reason before we bleed back into the universe. It could be worse. What about a machine without a ghost? A contraption, a simulacrum, a string attached to somebody's toe under a salon table, a trick to rob the gullible of sleep and money. It doesn't matter either way. Company is company. At least your ghoulish game of Nicky Nicky Nindor gets you noticed. Knock knock. Who's there? Nobody. Annoying, but effective. It's all proof of life. A sudden cold patch in the living room. A flickering light. A trail of ectoplasmic goo. What about an Instagram of breakfast? A family portrait on Facebook? Even a sculpture in an art show? Whatever works, I say. So come on in. Help yourself. Break some stuff. We noisy nobodies will get along just fine. But I was, I was pleased with the story. I was pleased with how it turned out. And was, the, the experience was a lot of fun to do it. Mm. Uh, learning, learning how to... That in some ways, it was taking the same kind of, I think, bravery that you learn as any kind of artist to just hit, hit a blank canvas and put stuff on it. You just yeah. you have to do that uh, in writing as well. You just have yeah. to stop worrying about whether you've got to write or whether you're starting it off right. Just just start putting stuff down and see what happens. And that was really interesting to learn that skill because it's uh, something I didn't know I could do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's um, first off. I feel a little bit of vindication. You said you you got shredded by a professional yeah. writer. I remember giving you my artist statement <laughs> yeah, yeah. years ago. And thinking this is going to be fun, and then it wasn't at all. <laughs> it was in front of a room full of people, and you tore it to shreds, which, which, which made a, it a lot better. But which was a function of my own ego, to be honest. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for ways to shred it, and, and let's yeah. be honest, it was perfectly good artistry. It wasn't. But it was. It is now. But is that like the the art director syndrome for design agencies? There's like hovering art directors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? It's so funny. Where it's just. Their sole purpose is to just stand over top of you, like hover, and look at your screen and say, uh, move that to the left a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 move it back to the right. Right. All right, good job. Thanks. And then yeah. they get all the credit for it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they're just trying to justify their job. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is not actually true. I respect art directors. <laughs> it's just a funny stereotype. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think actually that's true. Is as, as, as somebody who as a profession grades the work of other people who are writing all the time kind of that's all you you find yourself doing that all the time is I think I just made that comment because I had to do something right right it's not a valuable comment it's not a worthwhile comment it's mm -hmm. just that I had to put something down in yeah. Ink yeah to make it look like because that's my job that's my yeah. job right uh, so it was a bit, it was it was kind of humbling to, to be on the other side of that yeah for sure yeah, yeah. Um, did you did either of you find that the I don't know if you wrote, did the work and then the art and then wrote the story or, or in tandem, whatever, but did it inform the art making process at all? I know it's for you, Bruce, like yours is very technical because it's mechanical mm -hmm. and, and kinetic and everything else. So maybe a narrative doesn't play any part in that, but, right. but did it, did you find it sort of then the inter, any interplay of, well, of the story writing and the art making process? In a way, sort of, but, but really like that's, that sculpture. Um, was one that I started several years ago. Like it, it's, it's been about three years in the making. Mm -hmm. So, you know, realizing that I could put it in this show gave it kind of a purpose. It gave it narrative. Um, it kind of helped me discover the piece, but it didn't, in a way, it was too late to actually affect the piece because that was already set in stone. Right. The parts were already being built and things. Um, and, the, and the thing with, with mechanical sculpture is it can be they're sort of available uh, to any interpretation in a way, right? Mm -hmm. So it was possible to, to put a different interpretation on it than the one that was originally intended. Um, and, I, and I think it, it resulted in a better piece, a more unified piece, and a piece now that has a narrative to it, which I think is, is, is a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of actually how I constructed the piece, not much. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Did you, Anita, did you have the idea for the doll first or the story first? Um, I actually had the idea of um, the goddess because I'm working with uh, mythological characters and goddesses and historical figures anyway. That's just what the genre of my work was doing at the time. Yeah. Um, so when I actually chose Is Papalotl, it I don't think the actual story played out with how I was doing the doll. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an interesting experience to actually have both piece marry up and, and, and come to a whole thing, the two pieces together. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. It was really good to, to actually crystallize that together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely really, really interesting for me, but uh, not, not, in any way. If anything, I was like, oh, I've got to get the story to actually come up and be a better standard. Then, right, then, you know, right. So I'm like, okay, so, yeah. Because yeah. they had to lock together, right? So mm-hmm. I want them both to be equally valuable, not, not okay, that's really dragging that down. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is to stop making such good art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've done it now my art yeah. work, yeah. just yeah. so it meets the standard of my narrative. Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think of of the process? Yeah, how, or, how, have you done it before? Because this was your well, crazy ass idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so I mean, my work is always story driven. I mean, that's what I do. I mean, I'm constantly thinking about story all the time, mm. um, and so they go hand in hand. To me, I have this little post it note on my. S- on my monitor at work that just says art without a story is just wallpaper. Mm. Um, And that's just to kind of remind me to always think of story first and always let that drive my imagery. Um, Because I don't, I mean, in my world, I try to inject a little bit of story to everything. Like there should be purpose for everything in my animations or, Mm. or in my designs or in my illustrations. Um, Cause I just want to have, if somebody questions me on something, it's almost like a, it's a tactic to have an answer to it, maybe. <laughs> like, oh, why did why is that there? And I'm like, ah, oh, well, it's because of this thing or that thing. And, yeah. you know, um, so maybe it's a bit of a fear thing. Like, I just want to, sure. I don't want to have just art for the sake of art kind of thing. No, but I think that's good visual storytelling. Is yeah. Then that's the sort right. of and the I have, cornerstone of it is to have every decision you make is to serve the narrative, not, yeah. to, not just yeah. random. Um, and so I think that, and it's also just because I, when I work with brands or, or companies or, 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 or startups or whoever it might be, I'm always trying to get at what their story is because a lot of the time I'm really dealing with really abstract concepts like uh, uh, what is uh, compound interest, right? right and right. stuff like that. So, I mean, how do I make this interesting? You know, okay, I have to try to inject a bit of story in here. Maybe we, we like anthropomorphize what interest is and what a compound interest might look like as a character or something right. give it a little bit of backstory it doesn't have to be super deep but I'm always trying to think about how to tell the story of compound interest and make it engaging for an audience um, so that's kind of like what I've been doing for sure. forever uh, you know yes. I, I went to film school and that was also what was also like always injected into us at film school is like story first always worry about story technical stuff can come later you'll slowly develop that but you need to focus on telling a story Mm. um so yeah that's kind of always how it's gone with me Mm -hmm. i guess you know it makes me think when 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 you first started talking about this project one of it was was sort of the it was the anti-artist statements art show yeah right and and you're talking about using narrative to justify your artistic choices. Yeah. And I think a lot of us who have had formal training in art yeah. have learned that you have to justify your your artistic choices with theoretical justifications. Right. And, and so supplanting that with narrative is, is such a liberating thing because then you don't have to say, well, I have some kind of theoretical reasons that I did this, 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 and this. It's because I was trying to tell a story. Yeah. It's much more primal, much more basic justification for, for making artwork. Yeah. Um, so so I, I love this idea of just pitching or you're getting rid of having to justify your your, your art, what you make, just based on on uh, somebody else's writings about art. 
Yeah. Yeah. And really, it's like it's it's not that different. It's not. It shouldn't be that different. I don't think. Right. Yeah. I mean, every art, even like highly theoretical art, um, or conceptual art, is still telling some kind of story, sure. whether yeah. it's referential to existing art or art movements or something like that. It's still telling that story. And so it really, but yeah, I feel like a lot of the times when the artist's statement or the, the, the really theoretical things are, are there to convince the viewer why they should care about the art. Right. That, that right. You yeah. I've said yeah. that before. Uh, yeah. I can't that, remember who said that, but they're yeah, like, artist statements like, are just academic papers trying to convince you of the worth of the art. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's worthwhile to me whether I read that piece of paper or not. Yeah. But if that piece of paper somehow is more engaging than just you trying to, it's a sales pitch for why I should care. Yeah. Then I don't know. It's, it's, it just makes it a little bit more engaging for the audience. And it, it, yeah. You know, don't get us wrong. I mean, there's, there's a place for that. Oh yeah. Big time. But I think the, the, you can tell when people spend more time reading the didactic panel than they do looking at the art. Yeah. Yeah. That gives it away. I mean, if, if everybody's circled around reading the thing and then right. people sort of drift past the work. Right. Like, enough said, right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> that, that gives it away. So. Which is funny that we, to combat that, created the most verbose yeah. art show. <laughs> you have to spend a lot of time reading it. So, oops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what feedback you got, but the opening was like, so many people found it so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't have artist statements, you know, so they weren't drilled in the side of the head about how amazing the artist was. They were like, oh, wow, it's a story. I get to read a story and then I get to look at artwork. And most people that came up to me, they were just like, this is so refreshing. This mm-hmm. is so innovative. This is so engaging. So I'm like, I'm so glad we didn't bore you about who we are and where we came from. We just yeah. <laughs> 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 get the boring stuff out of the way. I know, too, right? I so I don't know what feedback you guys got about it, but that's what I heard. Well, and also the, the fact that, you know, from my experience, you know, I, I don't think I recognized half the people at that opening. And we all know every opening you go to, it's the same incestuous crowd over and over again. Mm-hmm. But at, at your show, it's suddenly a whole bunch of new faces. And I think part of it was, was the, or a big part of it was, they knew they were coming for narrative, not for um, you know, some kind of incestuous artist love it. Yeah, yeah. A, a different approach. Mm-hmm. I actually did know some people who came for the stories, not the mm-hmm. other. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's that's all music to our ears. I mean, yeah. we that's that is the goal of the show, and that both of those things to have people uniquely engaged, but in, but also to reach out to a new crowd and have yeah. have people that aren't yeah. necessarily mm-hmm. by default comfortable or or excited to go into a fine art space and yeah. look at look at art. So yeah, definitely that's that's all amazing for like to hear that, that that's the feedback you guys got because yeah, we got some of that, but I mean people don't like, people sort of just high five us at the end. <laughs> like, people high five us at the end and say, Great, yeah. that, that was that was a fun show, but it's like we you know, yeah, we don't get a lot of the sort of direct conversation yeah, yeah. with uh, about it with people. Some, but you know. Mm-hmm. There still is that the barrier of, of uh, people who aren't used to going to art shows and things are afraid to go into galleries because they're afraid to be ignorant about the work. They're afraid mm-hmm. to be, yeah. um, to not know what to think about the work. And if you say, well, you're here to just see story, well, that's suddenly something you can relate to and something that anybody can understand is how a piece of art illustrates mm-hmm. or enhances a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got, you kind of got rid of that whole pretension around art production, I think. Well, we had a conversation last week, um, and you brought it up about, I was, I was playing devil's advocate and saying, why should we fund the arts? You know, of course I know why we should fund the arts, but, um, I was just playing devil's advocate and you said, you know, because it is a, it's a very important type of language, um, that transcends language. Um, but I think there's also a time when that language is too so obtuse mm. that it, it's almost like walking into a country that you don't know the language yes. and you're like, I am overwhelmed that I don't know how to order coffee. Yes. And it's, yeah. and I think that's sort of where the, 
where the strength of art can come from is it can also it can it can sometimes do that where it it's overwhelming and scary but also you can totally transcend language and i mean that's why we look at cave paintings and you know what was going on mm-hmm. um and you can figure out so much about these cultures even though there isn't a living soul that knows how to speak their language or even right. how they spoke or what their language was their art informs us about how they lived Absolutely. and that is like stupendously important mm-hmm. i think for the human race yeah well and, and imagine that exact kind of thing like in a thousand years when our civilization is dead from the coronavirus or some other thing <laughs> we lack of toilet paper, lack of toilet paper. <laughs> costco's yeah. burning down what do you what do we have but our art sure. to speak speak for us in in this in some sense right and and if you can't, if you're only, if you're making art that is designed to only speak to a very small, like uniquely educated or uniquely informed mm-hmm. kind of person, then that that won't help. You know, the next civilization that discovers <laughs> our yeah. our uh, yeah. you know fossilized objects yeah. and yeah. important objects that we leave behind. You know, mm-hmm. to yeah. to talk about what we did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, we ran out of things to talk. <laughs> that, was, that was that was big. That was big. Um, so, poltergeist experiences. <laughs> Who's had real life ones? I've definitely had a ghost experience. I don't. It depends what your definition of poltergeist is, really. So, but I used to. Could being from Britain, obviously, there's a lot of history there. And I used to, I had this job working in a very, very old pub. So it was at least 150 years old. And uh, it used to be, it used to be frequented by sailors. And when I say sailors, I'm thinking more pirates. (laughs) Real pirates? Real pirates. So, and uh, anyway, it was closing time. So it was like 2am and I'm stacking all the chairs and stuff. And I hadn't been working there very long, maybe a week or so. So Brits do like to really rib their newbies at things and tease them. So anyway, I was sweeping up and I was absolutely convinced there was a guy standing just behind me. And I turned to say, you know, dude, we're we're closed. You've got to leave, that kind of thing. And no one was there. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's freaky. Because to the fact that I believed to that point that there was someone there, and I can still see their face like it's crazy but then I talk to the owners and I'm like and they're like oh yeah no this place is totally haunted like and I'm like I might not stay (laughs) if that's what I've got every 2am but it was and it was weird because it wasn't when you think about energies and stuff like the energy I felt was curiosity Hmm. so it wasn't Hmm. it wasn't anger it wasn't fear but like just curiosity yeah so bizarre just really bizarre so and i did stay working there for a while so this was you you saw a face or you in your mind before you turned around or you convinced as i turned i could you know when you catch something out of the corner of your eye so like if i'm looking there i can see some of you and some of you that kind of stuff so you see enough that make a picture in your mind but Mm. as i turned nothing gone Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that's very grateful not angry No, the reason I ask Poltergeist experience because that's Bruce's story, and I yeah. don't know if any of us will have an ancient goddess of death story yeah. specifically. But yeah, maybe if you she have one of those, if it's an eclipse, right? That she comes down, then so just be watching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I was thinking about it, and I've never had any any remote experience of it. I don't hate to disappoint, but I don't believe remotely in any kind of afterlife or anything like that. But uh, which is not to say that I'm not utterly terrified of ghosts, huh. right? Yeah. So I, 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 you know, I was a fan of horror fiction in my teenage years, etc., and um, and I suffered mightily for it because I was terrified all the time of, of ghosts, and and even as an adult, I can't watch ghost movies 
because I'm terrified of ghosts. Even though I don't believe it exists or anything remotely like it exists. Specifically ghosts. Specifically Not ghosts. like vampires or demons or I'm anything totally else. I'm okay with vampires and demons. And, <laughs> and, and, there, and I think the reason is this is, is, is like a, a werewolf and a vampire. They're just predators. Right. And, and a predator, I mean, would be horrifying to encounter a predator, a wolf or a bear or whatever. But but they're just predators, and that's within the realm of something that we can accept as, mm. a, as a potential way to die. Right? <laughs> um, but a ghost is... is I like said, where you go. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Ghost, ghost exists psychologically. Ghosts mm. exist, uh, in, in, like you say, in your peripheral view. And, yeah. and they infect your brain before you even know they're there. And they, you encounter them when you're half asleep. You encounter them in the dark. You encounter them in, when you're isolated and alone. And, and so they, they have this sort of psychological fear first uh, that, that, to me, terrifies me, even though I don't believe in their reality, mm. because somehow they, they already exist inside you. There's something primal about them. Yeah. About ghosts. It, I, wonder if, uh, I wonder if it's because, I mean, the physicality of the, or like the present moment of the vampire and the, the werewolf is you know you're getting eaten by a werewolf and you're like well this is yeah i'm getting eaten by a werewolf yeah. right now that's terrifying and awful but ghosts kind of represent like past regrets sure or bad choices that are now haunting you literally sure and that's like so much worse than the physicality of the present moment of getting yeah, yeah. eaten by a werewolf yeah. for some mm. people <laughs> yeah because um, sure. that's like a that's a more real fear and maybe that's what ghosts represent is regrets and and bad choices that are lingering for forever. Sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, friendly ghosts, they're they're also like Casper the friendly ghost is still there's like a curse or something. I don't actually remember the story. Yeah, right? yeah. But like there's so there's always like there's always you'll have to do something in the presence right. to like atone for something that's, that's happened right. to this person that's right. to like release mm-hmm. their ghost, right? Right. So right. is that I wonder if like ghosts are more about uh atonement for past sins. Sure. But I guess yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well it is a psychological thing, like you say, and it's and I think the less you believe in something, the scarier it can possibly be in a mm. way, right? I mean, in a way, yeah. You believe yeah. you know something exists that is could harm you, then that's you can come to terms with that. But right. if you don't believe, then what's the source of terror, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, that that's why the, the terror is so internalized because yeah. of, yeah, I mean, it is coming from within. Mm. Um, I think there are also there are tangible defenses for werewolves and vampires. Aren't sure, it's very true. Yeah, stock yeah. up with holy water and garlic. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Silver bullets, you good, right? Ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I use? Yeah. What Spray. You, you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Call the Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, you, you can confirm whether or not you have a werewolf in the room just by opening your eyes, right? I mean, it's, it's there, or it's not. Yeah. Right? But a ghost, I mean, when, you know, whatever ghost encounters I've had, I was, you know, air quoting there. Um, but, but uh, you know, we've all had that experience of hearing something in your sleep and waking up and going, yeah, I'm sure I heard somebody scream or I'm sure I heard somebody say my name. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't be sure that you didn't. That's the problem. You wake up and you can, you can look around, but you don't know. Did you hear somebody scream? Did you hear your name? Uh, yeah. Is there something still lurking? in the room, right? And that that's the problem with ghosts is you can't you can't face them. You can't um, you can't put your finger on them, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember growing up, uh, a friend of Matt and I's who um, used to spend uh, all night gaming in his basement or whatever. And we would yeah, like poltergeist specifically, for sure in his house. I mean his um, his place was littered with tons and tons of stuff. His mom was kind of a hoarder in a sense, but um, there was night after night, there would be like big thumps up upstairs. Yeah. So we're always never where we were always <laughs> right. on the right. floor that you're not on. Right. And big thumps, something falling. And then you'd go up and nothing 
was moved. Right. Nothing was out of place. Right. Um, and nobody was around. Nobody's, yeah. it's the middle of the night. Nobody had got up. Nobody was out yeah. doing anything. And we just, so many nights in that house that, that was, uh, it was very bizarre. Yeah. We just kind of, we're like, oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess some, something's up to the first night to just stay the hell away. So. No, no, we were, <laughs> no, we were committed. <laughs> yeah. And see, if, if, even though I don't believe in ghosts, if I'd had that experience, I wouldn't have stayed over there again. Right. Right. It's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you can rationally say, no, I don't believe that happened, but I'm still not going to spend the night in a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> So last year, you two uh, were both the People's Choice winner, Bruce, and the, and the first runner-up, Anita, for your works, which was pretty amazing. Uh, are we going to see you again in uh, volume two? I hope so. I hope so. I've already, uh, <laughs> I've already invested a lot of money in the next piece. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Committed. Fantastic. I haven't started building it yet, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a bigger piece. Yeah. How did you describe it as potentially dangerous? It's, it's yeah. the size of a kitchen table and it's potentially dangerous. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> That's no, exciting. It, 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 yeah. It Say no more. Is it, is it Grace? <laughs> no, but I do worry about Grace getting her hands stuck in. Okay. How's that? Mm. So that's, that's the thing I have to, one of the things I have to solve is how to actually put this thing in a public place. Yeah. Mm. Cause it's, it's got moving parts that could cut things off. <laughs> Okay. Right. Well, distance then. Like, yeah, I think it needs a cord or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's the uh, it's a more difficult challenge to do this twice, right? Because all of a sudden now you're squeezing a rock that you've already you know drained all the blood from, mm-hmm. and uh, this one in particular, I'm finding the story hard to to find. Mm-hmm. So it's different to the poltergeist that you did last year. Yeah, I mean it'll be it's the same. Continuing. It won't. It won't be a, the, the poltergeist, no. Um, but it, but I, you know, I'm still seeing the same kind of very short, almost poem kind of thing. But but I'm finding that one, the lines aren't coming. Mm. Right. So I may have exhausted my abilities on this one. I don't. <laughs> yeah. You've got time. You've got time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the piece is going to be cool, but it's always going to be hard. Um, the danger element sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. So, uh, yeah. no, I was just going to say, what else are you guys working on right now, um, if anything? Art-wise, um, not a whole heck of a lot. I'm doing lots of figure drawings and stuff, and... Uh, We've got the People's Portrait Prize coming up. We've got mm-hmm. Caribbean Comic Con coming up. We've got the Tattoo Convention coming up. We've got you guys with the ghost stories coming up. So um, I'm still p- plugging away at my dolls and uh, keeping my hand in pretty much. So It's funny you premised that with not much. <laughs> There's not much going on. And then you rattled off like 10 shows that you're involved. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic artist Sorry. thing, right? <laughs> I'm not very busy, but I have no time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not doing very much, but I've got a lot on. But, yeah, so busy for sure. And then, you know, trying to balance just daytime living stuff happening in that. So, mm-hmm. you know, being an adult sucks. Like. Bruce? Well, I mean, I'm having fun with the figure drawing. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, which You've I'm been going to... Do to more well, I'm, I'm running to Anita a lot these days at, yeah. uh, at figure drawing, so going to the castle. Yeah, and, perfect. Yeah, and mm-hmm. also Brian's as well, whenever I can. Oh, nice. So Brian Batista's. Um, yeah, I don't know how much you want to have uh, like plugs for other... That's what this is about. Is <laughs> but about both are awesome. Yeah, both the castle and Brian's Italian, great places to draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, uh, just to clarify, that's the Maylot Castle yeah, in Calgary, yeah. and... Um, Atelier Artista, which yeah, is Brian C-space. Brian Batista's yeah. uh, um, atelier Lots school in C space. Yeah, great models. Yeah. I've been meaning to get over to Brian's to do some life drawing. Yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward yeah. to getting back yeah, to some should. of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's always nice to be doing things that you can uh, you can wrap up in three hours. Mm. Right, like yeah. the mechanical sculptures take forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
thousand, two thousand, yeah, hours. Like, like well, four or five hundred hours at least on yeah. the last one, and this one's going to be similar. Um, and, but it's so nice to be able to just cut loose on a figure drawing and just, you know, know that it's going to be done in three hours, whether it's good or not. Mm. It's, yeah, it's a good stretch. I think if it's mm-hmm. not what you usually do as a genre, it's just a good, good exercise, really. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Or if it is playing, but. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like playtime. Yeah. yeah. What do you What do you like to do in the in the studio? Do you know I have this because we were at the Neverland Open House on Friday, and I was having this conversation with uh, one of the sightseers that was coming around and stuff, and she was lamenting that she's all over the place with her own art practice, and I just said, you know what, I I've been that way my entire life. I mm-hmm. usually work on three very different pieces minimum at the same time and some of it's just logistical so like if I'm working on some reclaimed dolls and ceramics and stuff there's like drying time and all that kind of stuff so I'll go and dabble with a a drawing or that kind of thing you know Uh so so most people just think that I am nuts because it's very it's I, I just it's very different it's sort of like so it's 3d sculpture then it's 2d drawing pencil work then it's watercolor yeah. and so I'm a bit all over the place but that's just how my head works I'm <laughs> happiest that way I guess yeah. but it's nice to not feel like you have to just do the one thing mm-hmm. I guess right I mean I struggle with that a little bit too is like I feel like I don't know what I do I just that's why I always just say I move stuff around on screen until it doesn't look like <laughs> shit anymore. It's, it's just because I, I do that for a lot of different stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, which is interesting because you you're you're also trying to make a living with what you produce. So you yeah. you'd expect to be more focused and just just out of efficiency for the sake of efficiency. Yeah. yeah. There is a beauty to being a generalist as well and kind of like dabbling in a lot of things is because it just makes you more versatile. It makes you know the language of a lot of different things yeah. as well, um, which is nice. So, and Bruce, what is your what is yeah. your day-to-day art life look like? Similar, although I think probably more defined streams. So my, my, the thing I do most of is this figure painting. Mm-hmm. Um but the thing that I'm, I'm sort of, let's say, the thing that I'm good at is, is the mechanical object making. Um, but the, the problem with mechanical objects is that, is that there's not a lot of freedom. Once you start committing to an idea, you have to carry it through um, because you've got an investment in material and technique and you've got a plan to build these things. So in some ways, I don't, I don't have a lot of fun making mechanical objects. Yeah. It's actually a, it's a bitch of a thing to do. It's, it's tedious and there's all kinds of things you have to do that you don't want to do, like sanding and, you know, polishing and all that kind of stuff. So, so painting is kind of the, the fun part of what I do. Hmm. Cause you can just do it, hmm. get, get it done, throw it out if it's no good. Yeah. Right. Or anything every week kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then you do, from making the doll last time, do you have any fun stories from that process of making the doll? It's so frustrating. She yeah. was so frustrating. She put me through the hoops. That doll. <laughs> wow, yeah. No, I think I'm always pushing boundaries anyway with regards to what I'm working on. So she pushed boundaries big time because... Uh, as a mythological goddess, I'm like, she's fascinating. So it was real for me delving into some materials that I wasn't used to. Mm. And so with that particular doll, because she has butterfly wings and I was really playing with latex and Mm. my experiments worked great. But every time I went to get the finished product done, it was failure after failure (laughs) after failure. And so she didn't end up with latex wings. That's all I'm going to say, because time caught me up (laughs) too. But yeah, and then just towards the end, I knocked the whole thing off the table. No, I didn't know that. And she came off the base and then I I put her away for three days because I think my profanity demon (laughs) came out and I'm like, okay, I'm walking away. I'm not sure this is going to happen. But no, then I I put her all back together and, uh, and then she was done. But that was the most frustrating 
recycled doll I have ever made. <laughs> oh, that's, so. that's funny. So she's well, the now, results are amazing. She's priceless yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yet yeah. I also just want to give her away to someone and never see her again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, a catch-22. So, yeah. But uh, she was definitely... I learned a lot with her, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's amazing well Bruce you had a pretty yeah, amazing yeah. like last minute yeah. uh, modifications to the piece as well yeah, yeah yeah I mean because the, the piece started with with a, a glass that broke in a very particular way and, and and I know it can't be repeated because I tried literally dozens of times to to re-break a, gra- a glass in the way that this one was broken just in case but it's you can't it was it was a unique break so that so preserving that glass through the whole process of the sculpture where the glass was integrated was like of utmost concern because if I had broken the glass, it's done. There was no point in making the rest of the sculpture. Um, and and you talk about experimenting with materials. Well, <clears throat> trying to glue brass to glass or, or adhere brass to glass turns out to be nearly impossible. Um, and I don't know how people do it professionally, whatever, but. My glue joints failed the day before installation. And, and I sat there watching the sculpture and the whole thing just slump. The, the glass parts just sort of both of them fall off the, the brass where they were glued to. And I realized that the only way to, to actually secure the glass to the, the armature that was holding them was to drill holes in the wine glasses. So, you know, at eight o'clock at night, before the, the, the piece was due, I was there with my Dremel. And it took me about three hours to put two holes into these glasses because, well, drilling into glasses, is, you know, your chances of breaking it are pretty high. <laughs> so it was, it was the most intense three hours I've ever spent doing any kind of art project. Uh, and thank God they, the holes went through and, and I was able to, to make it work. But yeah, yeah. And the same kind of thing, it was just a, I never want to see this thing again. <laughs> so we're lucky yeah. to have had either of your pieces yeah. in the yeah. show. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's like, not to get too philosophical about it, but that's the kind of process that really good art sometimes goes through sure. when you, in my case, want to throw the brush directly at the canvas yeah. or, you know, when you have those problems to solve that, or you have a setback that, seems like it's just done like you're it's yeah. this is never going to be what it should be this is never going to work and then when it if you if you persevere through those that phase of it or that yeah. last sort of hurdle uh sometimes it amounts yeah. to the best work absolutely you can yeah. possibly make right yeah. and and you learn so much from finding the courage to just you know do do something whether it's a painting that looks pretty good but not great yeah and find the courage to, to just finish that painting and it, it would be a chance that you're going to wreck it, the quite probable chance that you're going to wreck it. Mm-hmm. It's such a valuable lesson for any artist to have. Yeah. Never yeah. invest in the finished product. Yeah. Just yeah. You always take that risk right to the last minute. Yeah. And yeah, same thing with the, the you know, the, the mechanical sculpture. Um, it could very well have been a complete waste of time. Right up to the last second, really. Yeah, 500 hours and then. Right? And then, crack. And then pointless, right? <laughs> but, but you learn a lot from, from, from sort of just facing that kind of potential. And, and uh, you know, it's when you, it's when you say, well, I can't do that because it might, it might wreck whatever I'm doing. Then that's when your art gets limited, I think. Mm. You, yeah. You stop, you stop doing anything interesting. Yeah. 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 Well. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. That was, that was great. Fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. That was super great.